From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. What's the best way for patients and doctors to manage pain? My guest today is Dr. Ala Abdel-Sayed from our anesthesiology department here at the University of Wisconsin. Dr. Al, as we call him, specializes in chronic pain and is part of the interventional pain program at UW. He did his initial medical training in Egypt, completed a master's degree in public health at the Cleveland Clinic, and did his residency and fellowship in pain and management at the University of Cincinnati. We spoke to him on the surgery set a couple of years ago about his work with our multidisciplinary pain clinic, but I wanted to bring him back to talk about his new book, Chronic Pain, The Patient and Family Journey. So, Dr. Al, thank you so much for joining us on the surgery set. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. We are connected teleconference because I'm home with a sick family. Thank you for accommodating our, our technological bridge here. I'm so excited that we finally get a chance to talk about some of your work because you and I have encountered one another few times over the years. I just think that the stuff you're doing is so exciting and some of the uh, recognition that you're getting for it is very exciting as well. While you've been here, tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing and then definitely I want to hear about the work you've been doing around opioids and the book that you've published on that topic. So when I came to UW, it started developing the pain program and uh, has grown now to be one of the biggest in the country. So that the main focus was always the multidisciplinary nature uh, that's why we have physical therapy, we have infusion therapy, we have psychiatry, we have addiction, we have rehab, anesthesia, and we collaborate with more partners at UW in means of integrative medicine and other things. So this way we provide the patient with uh, a multidisciplinary approach for treating pain, which helped us a lot in reducing the doses of opioids patients are getting, was, was actually improving outcomes and providing better pain scores and better patient satisfaction. And actually, while we started this, the, the CDC guidelines came right after. So it's been really good that we were in this shape when the CDC guidelines came out and we started to provide guidance to other tracks around us in town in the whole state of Wisconsin because we already started doing this work uh, about two years before the CDC guidelines. So it has been a great journey developing the program and see that we use too many other tools other than opioids in treating our patients with very good outcomes. And that's what drove me actually to write this book. I have it here with me. I called it Chronic Pain, The Patient and Family Journey, uh, which focuses on this multidisciplinary nature uh, of pain management. It has actually a a very nice chapter on the spousal support, uh, which is a very challenging topic because being a patient in chronic pain, uh, you may or may not have an understanding spouse, which, which is a key part of the treatment plan that can impact really the psych element of the patient. And then we discussed all the uh, non-medications we use, why we don't like to prescribe high-dose opioids, uh, and many other topics really about uh, non-pharmacological treatment, pharmacological treatment. And we have a very nice chapter on how, how pain can develop and how it travels, what are the pain pathways used as a tool for the patients, for their family members, for anybody who really would like to learn quick about pain, like our medical students, residents, fellows, primary care providers. It gives a very good idea about the management of pain. Because it turns out that I'm only just really starting to get my head around this, but I think that pain, when I was a resident, we were always taught pain is the process of nerves firing and triggering other nerves in the brain that give you the sensation of discomfort, right? And that 
if you just get a medicine that blocks those receptors, then that takes care of your pain. And that's why opioid pain medicines are great. But it turns out, obviously, that it is wildly more complicated than that. Can you, can you talk a little bit about kind of what we know about what opioids can and can't do and, and the value of some of these adjunctive therapies that are getting us away from just using opioids as a single line agent to treat pain? So that's a very good point. And I think uh, opioids became very prevalent due to uh, the lack of knowledge about how pain works. Uh, so there are multiple receptors, multiple pathways, and there are multiple mechanisms of action for different medications. So I'll give you an example. When we treat pain, we use uh, sodium channel blockers, we use calcium channel blockers, and we target actually many receptors in the body. Different classes of medications will target different receptors. So what people did with opioids, opioids work on one type of receptors and you just keep giving more and more and more, but you're targeting, kind of you're doing one mechanism to treat pain, which is not very successful. And the uh, reason why opioids were prevalent in, in use uh, with a lot, a lot of factors, one of them, their price, and then the, um, uh, the pharma marketing uh, for it very well. And then the presence of very few studies which were not well designed that showed efficacy. And then the lack of really media education on the habits of opioids, because now, now everybody looks at the numbers and say, wow, they kill all those thousands of patients every year. But those numbers were not so talking uh, about uh, in the previous years before we get into really uh, a serious problem. So when we treat pain, we, we aim at targeting pain by different medication that will work through different mechanisms. This way you are effectively trying to impact and treat the pain. And treating the pain, we always tell the patient, doesn't mean go sit, watch TV, and you're pain-free. But then as you treat the pain, you would like the patient to be active, do physical therapy, strengthen muscles, and try to regain the shape and function that can re help the patient down the road to reduce the medications and adopt a healthy lifestyle. And one thing, John, like we didn't talk about here is, for example, nutrition. You know, I have seen patients that nutrition was all what we did for them, just we got them into healthy diet habits because you know that like food can actually be harmful and can be very beneficial so this is just one simple thing if patients can sometimes significantly and dramatically have to change their eating habits this can actually improve pain quitting smoking can improve pain many other things many simple things can significantly improve pain it's not one simple thing is ever going to fix it right you have to get more exercise and stop smoking and eat better and use non-narcotic pain medicine. Like there's no magic pill that will fix this problem. And, and opioids, I think were held out to us as like, give Oxycontin and like pain is no longer a problem. Your pain score problem goes away. It's so much more complicated than that. You are totally correct. And it's about, that's why we call it the multidisciplinary nature that we're attacking pain by five or six modalities at once to get better results rather than just counting on one pill. And by the way, opioids never had good evidence of use in chronic pain, so there is no actual science behind their use. And then they have a huge spectrum of side effects and data that show their hazards on the community. So we didn't actually use the right tool before. I remember it was just recently a paper came out, right, looking at chronic pain, comparing opioids to non-opioid therapy and the people who are getting non-opioid therapy for these diagnoses where people have sort of assumed like, oh, well, this is what you need opioids for. They were actually doing better in some cases. That, that's actually totally correct. Actually, there is very well published too that patients on high-dose opioids develop what's called hyperalgesia. 
And when you wean down off the opioids, the actually their pain improves. And we see this in our patients very frequently. So many of our patients, you know, have surgery, they have an injury, they, they get some pain medication, maybe they have a short course of opioids, then they stop using it and they go on about their business. When is it time for them to be seeing a chronic pain specialist and, uh, and specifically like a, a real intensive multidisciplinary group to help manage their pain? Patients should be concerned about pain if it goes beyond the three months, so that's the definition of chronic pain, because, you know, that's beyond the kind of the natural healing of most surgeries then you know that there's something is still going on and there's probably a nerve injury or nerve irritation and some chronic condition here that needs more attention. Because if patient have a surgery, you know, pain goes away in a month or two, I mean, you're fine. You don't have to worry about it. But when it goes beyond the three months, that's when we start worrying there is something beyond the healing. Of course, it depends on the surgery and how aggressive, but for the most part and for most surgeries, if you go beyond the three months and, uh, and you know, your scars are healed and you, everything is healing and pain is not improving, that's when we start really worrying about uh, what's going on. And I think at this point, there should be a discussion with the primary care provider about the chronic uh, pain nature. And some primary care providers have good knowledge about how at least it will start treating chronic pain. Uh, some prefer not to. So at this point, there needs to be a discussion with the primary care provider about uh, are you going to at least start caring for my pain or you're not comfortable refer me to a pain clinic. And are, do you ever see patients before surgery? Like, are there, are there conditions where you sort of say, well, this is a setup for a chronic pain problem down the line and we could intervene earlier and try to avoid it? Or is, do you have to sort of just react and depending on how patients do after surgery? That's a very good point. So right now, of course, of the, our capacity and access, we do usually see patients after they have surgery and have chronic pain. But there are efforts on the inpatient side that sometimes if we have a challenging patient going for surgery that we get contacted, particularly our inpatient team will be contacted about having a plan for perioperative pain management. So this has been happening and we're trying to develop a bigger setting uh, where any patient who's concerning pain before surgery should be seen and a detailed plan should be in place. So that's kind of, I would say, work in the development. Cool. This has been your world. You're an expert in chronic pain and in managing these these really complicated conditions and patients with a lot of moving parts. How did you go from that expertise to wanting to write a book? And what was the process of writing the book? I mean, I'm sort of fascinated about how you take your knowledge and distill it into 200 pages. So there are too many pain books out there, but majority of them are big textbooks. And I have a couple myself that meant like for educating providers and for the board, the exam and so forth. But then I encountered the patients who come ask me questions. I mean, I will speak particularly about one patient that inspired me to write this book. A patient who came to me one day, you know, his life is falling apart. The relationship with his wife is falling apart. Everything is just falling apart. And when I started discussing with patients, like, what did you try before? Then he names two medications for me that he tried. Uh, and the pain has been going on for years. So I said, you know, you, you didn't try anything yet, and we have a very good chance to treat your pain. And this becomes a daily story that you patients come, been around with pain for many years, and then their life is falling apart, they're losing their jobs. And then when you ask them, what have you tried so far? These are mentioned opioids or a couple of things. Sometimes they don't even uh, have uh, the label to diagnosis appropriately done. So you find that those patients lost a lot in their battle with pain without actually being well-treated. We, we improve their pain just once they come. So probably they could have avoided a lot of, of the agony they go through 
uh, if they just got treated appropriately. That's why I, I, I decided to write this book for the public. My initial target was to teach the patient and the family members about pain and how, from the psychological standpoint, you have to support your family members in pain and how the spouse need to understand that if the, uh, the spouse is in pain, there are maybe some anger, there may be just impact on social life and the spouse has to be understanding because that's something creates a big problem when you manage patients overall. And then I decided to make this book in a very simple language that anybody really can read it and understand about pain. So I wanted the patient to read it and advocate for their therapy. Uh, I wanted the primary care, physical therapist, anybody who would really like to learn about pain, go just see how it's treated, how it happens, what medications are used. The psych part that impacts the patient to deal with it as well because seeing a pain psychology can be of great help in, in that aspect. So my drive was really to help people, patients, and the community and try to reduce the agony of going through the inappropriate treatment for a long time. So this was really an effort that was aimed at, at patients and at people who, who are not in the specialty of pain management, so patients and doctors who are in the sort of primary care setting. Correct. Like people who, who like don't deal deeply with pain or don't understand much about pain. And right now we're trying to get this book, you know, to uh, our uh, students and residents and the people who read about pain. So we try to develop a good infrastructure for people at least knowing how we treat pain. What was the process of getting it published? Did you write it and send it out to publishers? Did you write like an outline and, and shop that around? So actually, I wanted to get this book out quick because I felt that there's a huge like community problem. So I had some of my colleagues who helped me with the writing, and then I finished the writing, self-published it. So this way it's available and I can uh, modify the content at any point without having to go back to a publisher. Because as you know, pain is very dynamic. Every year we might need to make changes to the book. And this way I wanted just to be the one who's able to make the changes to make it very dynamic that uh, every year if you purchase a book, you can actually find recent new information that can help people learn and uh, treat pain. Such a great thing to sort of identify that need and then move to fill it without having to worry about sort of the, the publishing side of things, which I, I know can really slow things down. It can. While they do like advertise it for the book, I have to admit, but then it takes a really long time. It's difficult. They do control the content and any versions to come in the future. And uh, the goal of this book was not really by any means to make money or profit or anything. It's more about to get the knowledge out there very quick and to uh, give it to people at a cheap price that I could control. If I go to a publisher, I don't control any of this and might be posted, you know, at an expensive price. So it's, it's always about making it available for people. Uh, have you gotten any feedback on it? Do you get a sense that, that people are seeing it as, as a good resource or, or have you encountered something that I myself have encountered a couple of times, which is when I've advocated for, you know, responsible prescribing of opioids, thinking about, you know, whether or not we should prescribe opioids. Some people have hit back pretty hard on that saying that, you know, that we're overreacting to the opioid crisis and the result is we're taking away opioids from people who need them. First, I got an outstanding positive feedback. And the reason I think why this book got a good feedback is that while we talk about opioids in a very gentle way about why we worry about them, we provided like 15 other ways, many other ways to treat pain. And I think the problem uh, that John, maybe you and other will encounter is when you talk only about opioids, people tell you then what else I can do. So I think providing the alternative hand in hand with evidence can show people that uh, you're really not getting the maximum benefit of uh, what's out there, rather using just one 
filled that we don't know even its efficacy. Obviously, such an important resource, and I think such an important contribution to the discussions that we're all having now about how do we find ourselves in this opioid crisis and, and how do we get out of it? That's true, because the only way to get out of it is just to treat pain by something else and not uh, just doing down opioids. And I think that was the main issue when the CDC campaigns came out. Just providers started weaning down patients from opioids while not providing something else, I believe. If we provided the alternatives as we wean down opioids, we wouldn't encounter the problems we have now. Such amazing work you're doing, and and thank you for taking the time to talk to us and to introduce us to your book, which I hope everybody goes and takes a look at, um, and we'll have a link to that off our website as well. Yeah, thanks so much, John, for taking the time to chat with me today and to get the word out about the UW Pain program and about the book, and I hope uh, with what you're doing and others, we can spread the knowledge about appropriate pain management to the whole community. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. On our next episode, I speak with Dr. Che Kalura, a former chief resident here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I caught up with him before he left to start a career in private practice general surgery to talk about night float, the strange practice of practicing surgery only at night. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery, and I'm at J-E Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. On Wisconsin